Welcome to Legends of the Hall, the podcast centered around the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs, telling the stories of the greatest stars in the history of Pro Rodeo. This is episode number four. Our guest is nine-time world champion and 2000 inductee into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame, the legendary Ty Murray. This is professional rodeo announcer Steve Kenyon. Legends of the Hall is being sponsored by Wrangler, the official Western Wear Pro Rodeo. Long live Cowboys. In just a moment, Legends of the Hall with Ty Murray. Hey, y'all, this is Cody Johnson. When I was starting out in music, most every radio station and venue I went to told me no. At that point, you got two options, tuck tail and quit or buckle down and fight. Well, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. And that's why I wear Wrangler jeans and shirts. Their toughness and style are legendary. They're an iconic symbol of the West, and there's no quit in them either. Life's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And if I'm going to enjoy the ride, I'm riding in Wrangler. Wrangler, long live Cowboys. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Kenyon. Thanks for all of your support of our 8 Seconds Media radio shows, the new Steve Kenyon podcast, and our social media sites. Now you can wear 8 Seconds Media wherever you go. Just visit the 8 Seconds Media store, ball caps in some fun colors, T-shirts in all sizes for men and women, and with fall coming, we've got some warm hoodies waiting for you. Just click on the shop link at 8secondsmedia.com. Thanks for joining us for the Legends of the Hall podcast. I'm Steve Kenyon. Before we get into our guest today, Ty Murray, the nine-time world champion, let me just say a big thank you to Mark Eakin and the entire crew at Tarleton State University. I met with Ty in the beautiful rodeo facility that they have in Tarleton at Tarleton State, and wow, what a place that they have for the rodeo team at Tarleton State in Stephenville, Texas. Ty Murray, nine times a world champion, one of the founders of the PBR, and inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2000. He is our guest today on Legends of the Hall. Hall Podcast, I'm Steve Kenyon. Before I introduce the gentleman who you already recognize, I'm sure, sitting next to me, big thank you to Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas. They have got one of the most high-class rodeo facilities for their rodeo team of any place you will ever find. There's a everything from a weight room to hot walkers for the horses and everything else. This is Ty Murray, by the way. Um, like I say, y'all already recognize this man. Ty, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. This really is, before we do anything else, you live here in the Stephenville area. This is a cool place this rodeo team has here. Yeah, I've really got to see this uh, town really grow. With um, It's growing anyways, but it's really growing with people that are interested in rodeo. I've been here now since... Uh, I believe I moved here in 90, mm-hmm. 1990, and, and uh, well, I've just watched it grow and grow and grow. They call it the Cowboy Capital of the World Pro Rodeo in September every year. It really does fit. Um, I, I, the first time I was here was four or five years ago, but it seems like it's even blossomed since then. Yeah, it's like I said, I think every year it gets more and more, you know, and it, I think whenever you're watching the NFR and half the contestants yeah. are from Stephenville, you know, I think that probably helps. I know that it's really helped with – Tarleton's ability to um, recruit talent to to this town. I know, you know, back when I was in college, Stephenville wasn't near as tough as they are now. Yeah. Well, this facility might have something to do with it. Thank you to Mark Aiken. Thank you to the folks here in Stephenville. Inducted into the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 2000, um, one of the founders of the PBR, seven all-around titles, two bull riding titles. Um, The resume is – so long and it's got to be as you look back on it now a few years removed from competing do you ever find yourself shaking your head going i really pulled all that off or did you know you'd be able to pull all that off when you were a kid well that's that's probably an interesting question i you know i don't think you look back with shock because it requires so much to to go achieve that and so you know especially in the rough stock events there's so many chances to that you get asked how bad do you want this you yeah know, because it's it's scary it's dangerous it's you know you got to fight through injuries um so you know i don't feel like i look back and and say well i can't believe that happened because it doesn't just sneak up on you you know you've got to go every day you've got to really want it and when you get to the highest level everybody's good and so you've got to try to find a a way to get an edge and you know i did everything that i could everything that i ever thought of that i thought would maybe make me better either physically or mentally or both 
that's what I would try to do. So when you t when you say you did everything that you thought of that would make you better physically or mentally, mm -hmm. um, I go behind bucking shoots today as a rodeo announcer, and I'm, and I'm walking upstairs to go announce a rodeo. Mm -hmm. And the bareback riders are all taping up, or they're some of these kids are it just it almost hurts me to look at them they're standing there with their their leg on the top rail of the fence mm. stretching mm. um you know guys are doing jumping jacks guys are there there is a were you were you doing all that physically mm, when yeah. you were competing was that ty murray when you were at your peak yeah so i started training seriously in seventh grade and um you know i was really inspired when i was a little boy like eight or nine by the movie rocky yeah. And it was super inspiring to me because it, you know, it seemed true when you're that age. And, and it seemed like that if you want something bad enough and work hard enough at it, you can go get it. So I started training with coaches at a, at a pretty serious level in seventh grade. And I trained all through my whole career. And I trained in gymnastics all through high school. I know that that's something that really helped me in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and then I trained uh, in a form of martial, martial arts called Nippon Kempo, and I know that that really helped me a lot. I knew about the gymnastics. I didn't know about the martial arts. Um, the gymnastics had to have helped with everything from flexibility to balance to... Everything. When I, was a, when I was a little boy, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was pretty little, and my dad and I were watching the Olympics, and uh, I saw gymnasts on TV, and I told my dad, I said, that, that right there is what it takes. Um, to be a bull rider, a bronc right. rider, I said that you know that form and that flexibility and that that pound for pound strength. I met a young bull rider, and I, I forget which one of the kids it is, um, at a rodeo I announced not long ago, and I was I was I was looking up his bio, and part of his bio said he used to ride a unicycle, mm. and he said, "Yeah, Ty Murray did that too." Is yeah. that true? Yeah, for balance was, and and things like that. Yeah, just balance and coordination. I used to walk like we lived on a racehorse ranch in the summertime, and it had a training track there. And I used to – I practiced until I could walk all the way around that track on the top rail of the pipe on the inside rail. Wow. And so, you know, things like that, I just – it to me it was fun, and it was a way to challenge myself and know that I was making myself better with um, – from riding a unicycle to, you know, and then I would juggle and ride a unicycle or I'd rope the dummy and ride a unicycle and just do things that, you know, that anything that you can that's going to give you better timing, coordination, balance, you know. Um, but the physical part of, of rough stock only gets you so far. That, that was my next question is, okay, now the other thing you said is, and mentally, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you keep your – I, I, I never understood the courage that it must take. I've often wondered, is it, what, what's the emotion a guy has going through his mind moments before he nods his in on a bull? Mm. Is it fear? Is it adrenaline? Is it, talk about the mental aspect of it. Well, I think it's definitely both of those things and several things more, you know. Um, all sport has the pressure of winning and losing and championships and, and, all, and making a living and all that stuff, but when you're looking at the rough stock events the pressures of living and dying are real every time right and so you have to figure out a way you know in your own head to remain focused and fluid in that kind of an environment it's car crash scary environment yeah and that's different for everyone you know it ain't like ty can say hey you do it you know do this this and this and you, you know you'll be you have to figure out what works in your brain and so for me uh, confidence was what helped everything and, and confidence came through preparation for me and so it's kind of like you know when you study for a test really well you can't wait to take the test right and when you don't you dread the test and so that was me <laughs> <laughs> and so that's kind of how you know that's kind of how I treated my rodeo career I knew that the more prepared I was the more confidence I was going to have and the more confidence I, that I had the better that I was going to ride but um you know, that's, to me, that's what makes it so interesting is, you know, you see there's all different kinds of pressure, but pressure's not a real thing. Pressure is, is man-made and self-inflicted. It's not, it's not a real tangible thing. It's something that people put on themselves. So you have to learn, you don't have to learn to deal with pressure. You have to learn to not put pressure on yourself. And so that was something that I feel like I learned 
early on in in the high school ranks i wanted to win a national title real bad or several national titles and when i would get to the high school finals i wouldn't compete at the level that i should and i'm you know i'll never forget my mom said ty you're trying too hard yeah. and it, and it made me mad you know i was like that's what this sport's about is trying hard and it's, so you have to learn to try as hard as you possibly can without trying too hard and the example that i give kids is a boxer doesn't go into the ring and just put his head down and start windmilling his arms. You know, that that may be trying hard, yeah. but, but that's not helping you. Right. And so it's the same thing in this sport. You've got to learn. You can't just grit your teeth and clamp down because it's it, it, that doesn't work in the rough stock events, especially the better the stock gets. So we, when you can remain fluid and focused and relaxed, both physically and mentally, and it sounds funny to say relaxed, but... You have to have some level of relaxation to be able to move fluently. Were you a Were you a big homework guy? Were you the guy that wanted to know what every bull was going to do and and all those kinds of things, or or not? No, I didn't. I didn't care at all. You know, a lot of the guys I rode with, they would kind of make fun of me that you know I'd be looking for a horse I had, and they'd say, "Well, you got on him last week, right?" And you know, I'd be like, "Well, what color is he?" You know, like, <laughs> because for me, you know, they're a living, breathing creature and and just because they've whatever turned back to the left right 99 the last 99 times that doesn't mean they're going to do it this time and especially if you kind of are you know your subconscious kind of got you leaning that way anyway that's when they're going to go hey you know if you're wanting to go to the left so bad maybe i'll go to the right so for me you know all sport comes down to basics right and so for me, I was just trying to do the basics right and feel for my animal and, and re- react off of that. Because if, you, if, if you're not covering the basics, then nothing else matters anyway. Watching you on TV, um, you had, you had this, the, the best way of breaking down bull riding from what you, you just talked about. I mean, you, you'd make a comment about, yeah, a bull can feel a fly on his back and hit it with his tail. He can darn sure feel which way you're leaning. Yeah. And the better, you know, the better the bulls get, the better they are at that right. as far as, like, the more experience they have. So, like, when you're seeing bulls at the highest level in the PBR, they completely understand the game. Yeah. And, and, they know, and they have figured out ways to, to prey on your weaknesses. So, if your weakness is, I think he's going to go the right, and you tip that way just a tiny bit. You know, it, it, it doesn't take a very smart bull to go, well, I'm going to go that way instead. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing today, Ty? Uh, I have a ranch here in, um, I actually, when I, when I reached out to Ty to, to see if he'd be willing to do this, he had to schedule it through Preg Check and Cows. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, you are, you're very involved in the ranch and, and, and keep going with that. Mm. But I just wanted to thank you for making time in your schedule to make this mm. all work. Yeah. So I've, I've had that ranch now for 28 years. Uh, it's, it's about 3000 acres. I run about 250 to 300 head of mother cows and. Mm. It's something that I've, you know, dreamed of as a kid and something that I really enjoy and it gives my horses a good purpose and and it's I think it's great for my family and you know that's the other uh the probably the, the thing that's keeping me the most busy, busy is my family. You know, I have a 5-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son and and uh you know that's that's a full-time full-time job and it's and me and my wife really enjoy that. Are you a high school rodeo dad now? No, not yet. My son, I don't think. Will, I don't think my son will do any kind of huh. uh, rodeo. And my daughter, we don't know yet. You know, she's five, and she likes soccer and dancing and gymnastics and riding. Um, but my job, you know, my job isn't to make them cowboys or cowgirls. My my job is to support. You know what the, what they love and what their passion is. And if it if it ends up being rodeo, then then you know then I'll help in in every way that I can. But I'm trying to help them find, you know, what their path in yeah. life is. I always felt that way with my son. It it was, you know, I mean, I love football. If you love football, great. If you don't love football, do what you do. Um, he yeah. trains barrel horses. He's great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't I'm not going to try and tell him. And you and I think you just said the same thing. I'm not going to try to tell him. I like this, so you have to like it. Mm. I'm going to say figure out what works for you, mm-hmm. and let's figure out how to make it happen. That's that feels very important to me, you know, and, and, uh, you know, at the same time, I try to expose my kids to a lot so that they can see different things that yeah. they might be interested in. And I feel like my kids have both, 
you know, like my son just got back from Japan and, and we just got back from riding donkeys into Mexico with my daughter. And so they've, they've been around and they've experienced a lot of different things. And, you know, uh, and, and I feel like that's important just to, just to get them exposed to things to where they can see, you know, all the things in this world. And I do talk to them a lot, especially my son, now that he's getting older about, you know, it's your job kind of to find out what you want to do. I said, if you just, if you just kind of bebop through life, life will pick what you're going to do. And, and, you know, and and you're probably, chances are, you're probably not going to like it. And, and, you know, the, to me, the key to life isn't isn't the amount of money that you, that you make, and I and I say that in in a hundred percent honesty. You know, I don't care if my if my kids make thirty thousand a year or three million a year. Is if they're doing something that they feel driven about, that they feel accomplishment from, that they feel passionate, right. they can't wait to get out of bed and go do it. To me, that is the that's the key to to having a fulfilling life. And so, you know, we don't know what that's going to be for them. So. Yeah. It, you know, I feel like as a dad, it's not my job to, to find that form, but it's my job to maybe help them to find it for themselves. There are going to be inevitable comparisons if people look at rodeo careers of Ty Murray, Larry Mahan, who is a major inspiration to you, mm. now Stetson Wright. Mm. You guys were all the faces of our industry. In the How good is Stetson? I remember the 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 – you and I met a few years ago. You came up and helped me with a radio broadcast, and I asked you about Trevor Brazil, and you said Trevor can win as many all-around titles mm. as he wants to win. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you'd say the same thing about Stetson. Yeah, Stetson, I just see him get better and better, and he was good when he came when he first came around. And, uh, you know, every – I don't see him a lot, but when I do see him every year, you know, I for sure usually see him at the NFR and, and that sort of thing. Um, but when I do see him, he's getting better every time. And, and, and that's, that's a big statement when you're already the best. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the thing is, is he's not a, he's not a bull rider. That we have loves, a fly that is yeah. a pain in the neck right now. Yeah. We, uh, we, he's not a bull rider that rides Bronx pretty good or a Bronx rider that rides bulls pretty good. Yeah. He's very, very, he's, he's number one really at, at both, uh, at both of those events and you know I can remember when I first came around guys like Jim Shoulders, Larry Mahan, Casey Tibbs they would say as long as Ty doesn't get hurt and I used to kind of used to make me mad I took it personal I was like why do they think I'm gonna get hurt mm-hmm. you know and now and now I understand where they were coming from because when I see young guys coming with all that talent that's the first thing you know that you think about is if they can avoid getting hurt right you know this Stetson and I and I think Stetson's going to be good at avoiding getting hurt I feel you know I feel like that's part of the part of being a great rough stock rider is not just riding good but but learning how to ride day in and day out and and learning how to keep yourself as safe as possible you know accidents can happen to anyone but the better you are the least likely uh, your chances are of getting hurt. What What is the the key to that? I was I, you you just led me into my next question, which is, what is the key to that? Is it how you get off? I mean the, and maybe that sounds like a dumb question, but I mean if, if you land underneath the bull all the time, the odds are pretty good you're going to get walked on. Well, what is the key to, to? There's not there's not a key. That's an element for yeah. sure of of being able to get off good. Um, you know, Lane Frost, he never got off good. And, you know, we used to kind of joke with him about it, you know, because he was so tough and we'd seen him get slammed, you know, trying to get off so many times and hung up and slammed. And, and it got to the point where we were just kind of making fun of him. And, you know, in the end, that's why he died is, is, or, or, you know, that was part of it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, getting off's definitely an element, but there, there's so much more to it than that. And one of the things that I, you know, that I think that Stetson really has going for him is he doesn't weaken. And, it, you know, riding bulls and bucking horses, it's not something where you put your toe in the water and kind of see how the water is. You, you decide if you're going to jump in or not. Yeah. And Stetson's good at that. You know, he, he takes the fight 
to it. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't play it safe and sit back and say, well, let's see how this is going to go. And I feel like that's a super important component is, is it's counterintuitive. You know, when, when, whenever things get the hairiest, that's when you got to go for it the most in, in, to my way of thinking. Um, how much of everything that you've just said, when Larry Mayhem passed away, we all learned a lot about how important he was in your life. Mm. And uh, did did some of this come from Larry? Um, Larry taught me a lot about – Larry taught me the importance of not being a crusty cowboy that shies away from the media and yeah. interviews and, and stuff like that. And – and that was a really important thing. You know, I think that when I was young, if it didn't have to do with being a cowboy, I didn't, I didn't care. You didn't want to, want to do it. it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I think he was, he came into my life when I was 12. And uh, he never did tell me anything about riding. Uh, but he put me in a lot of situations to see how I would handle where where there could be pressure or or you know he talked to me a lot and he showed me a lot through what he did the importance of like I said not being a crusty cowboy that says I don't want to do that interview or I don't want to talk that newspaper ah, we're going to the bar we're, or we're leaving we I don't care you know which a lot of guys were that way and uh, I think they were really that way in his day and and they were there was quite a few of them that way in my day and I know that him showing me that made my bottom line go a lot higher than than what it would have maybe if I didn't know Larry Mann. Did did some of that have to do with your eventual transition into doing as much television as you did? You 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 were in addition to being a great writer, you were a great analyst on TV for a lot of years, and um, even. Even doing Dancing with the Stars, did some of that have some of what you learned from Larry have to do with all of oh, that? Oh yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, Dancing with the Stars. I think that was a hundred percent what I learned from Larry, exposing. Um, I could see Larry people. doing something like that if the opportunity would have been around in his day. Yeah, you know, exp- being able to expose twenty-five million people a week to cowboys and our sport. Yeah. You know, you can't buy that, and and. Uh, as far as the the commentating that I that I have done, a big part of a big part of that was with the PBR and getting you know getting the PBR going and trying to grow it. You know, I always felt like that we can't be a as a TV analyst in our sport. So many people grow up listening to rodeo announcers that they kind of bring. Rodeo announcers put the shiny side of everything out in front of the crowd. Right. And so, you know, everything. Said the rodeo announcer. Everything that I had seen, you know, growing up and and throughout my career, it was always the rodeo announcer. You know, there's a great guy from a great town. He's a great family man. Great, 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 great. Well, when you do that, nothing's great. And when you look at when you look at all the other sports, they're just honest. They're just calling what's happening on the field of play. And I felt that that was so important for us to have a guy sitting in the booth that knows what he's talking about, and he's talking about what's happening on the field of play. It's not his job to hand out as many compliments as possible. You're not there to sugarcoat it. And I think that, you know, I think that that it probably made, you know, I, I've heard people, you know, uh, feedback of yeah Ty he think you know you know whatever it is that you know that I'm being too honest or or too you know that I'm not sugarcoating things but that's something to me that felt um, paramount in our sport if we're ever going to be looked at as a true sport then if Peyton Manning goes out and throws five interceptions they're not talking about what a great husband he is yeah or yeah you know. they're talking about the terrible game he just had Flint Rasmussen just told him or not just but once told me, he said, you know, the, the thing that we're, we're, we're gravitating to, and this was when um, rural radio had started, and Flint and I were both doing a, a, a television or a radio show on, on Sirius XM and, and um, just prior to the Cowboy Channel and some of those things. He said, you know, if we're going to be a big league sport, we've got to start treating our athletes like big league athletes mm. and not sugarcoat everything, but be honest with them, which I think is what you just said. Mm. That's something that's always felt, 
you know, very, very important to me is you're not a, you know, you're not a, as an analyst, you're an analyst, not a cheerleader. And so, you know, that was something that I really tried to bring to the table. And I think some people appreciated it and maybe some other, you know, people that are more used to the kind of the rodeo announcer way of doing it. Um, you know, I think it may have felt shocking to them at, at some point, but to me, to me, it's still very important. It's something that right. hasn't went away. If, right. if you're going to, if you're going to be in the broadcast booth, you've got to you better tell the truth. You better, you better talk about what's happening. Yeah. Um, Ty, talk to me about the, the transition in your life from rodeo to the PBR. You were one of the founders. You were one of the guys in that hotel room. Um, one of the 20 that, that your agent, actually, you told me before he started, was the guy that set, kind of helped to set all that mm-hmm. up when the professional bull riders were started. And at that time, from about for you, from 94 to 99, I think you said, um, you were doing both. You were riding bulls in the PBR. You were still competing mm-hmm. in rodeos. Um, how important was it to you? What was that like? And, and, and just talk about, for folks who don't know the story, the motivation between, behind some of the greatest bull riders going at that time, starting their own organization. So at the time, I had an agent, a guy by the name of Sam Applebaum. He was from California, I think, at the time that he, that he found me. He was, or right before the, the time that he found me, he was like the CFO of Snapple. Right. And he was, a, he was a brilliant guy and had a, had a memory like an elephant and knew numbers frontwards, backwards, and sideways. And, but he was also sort of eccentric and, you know, had definitely had some quirks. But he helped me a lot, you know, through agent work and, and stuff like that. And, and really, you know, Sam is the one that got us all together, had the idea, told everyone that we ought to kick in a thousand bucks and got us all set down, got us in that hotel room in Scottsdale. And nobody talks about it, but if there was no Sam Applebaum, there would be no PBR. And that's that's just a fact. He's the one that he's the one that definitely you know, got the ball rolling and got us, got us together for us or for me, I guess I should say. And I think it was, I think I could speak on behalf of most of the guys. It never was an investment really. It never, or it wasn't to me for sure. It was a, it was a way to start, um, to run, to run it like a sport, like a, like a sports property and not like an association. Um, you know, an association is, is more similar to a car club. It's, you know, everybody, it's what, what's best for us and, and where should we do it and when should we do it and why should we do it and all that. And a sports property, you're looking at your consumer, which is the fan. And, and so we thought that was something that was important that needed to take place in our sports. So for me, it was, I got to pay a thousand bucks and start making some, being able to be in on some of the decisions right. that I thought was going to help the sport go up. And we didn't, we knew that if we could get the sport better for the fans, that the trickle down effect would make it better for us, not the other way around. And, and you don't just keep making it better for yourself and hope that it gets better for the fans. Sure. And so, yeah, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And so, you know, through the, through the things that and, and and when I'm saying this, I'm not, you know, I'm not criticizing rodeo. It's a different thing. It's completely different. It happens in every size town, big, small, all across the nation, every talent level, you know, it's 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 traditional. It's been around for so long. Rodeo is wonderful. Right. But we weren't trying to make another rodeo. We were trying to create a, a professional bull riding sports property. And we were able to take the things that we had learned rodeoing that we thought was maybe you know it definitely wasn't helping the fans and and we wanted to be able to guarantee whether you were at, a, at an event live or on tv every week that you were going to see the very best guys and the very best bulls and that's that's kind of that was our mission statement at the beginning that we that we really tried to strive for right 30 plus years later the pbr has tried a lot of things uh, this, the team series just came to an end. Um, a very unique concept in the world of professional rodeo, in, or not in the world of professional rodeo, in the world of Western sports. So much of what we do is individual. Um, how do you feel? Is, is, is the team series, is, is, is the PBR growing, developing, innovating the way you guys thought it would? Has it gone past what you guys thought it would do? It hasn't gone past for me. Um, 
just be, you know, I feel like it's, I feel like it's grown tremendously. I feel like yeah. it's still growing, but I still got, you know, I still got big visions for it. I yeah. want to see, you know, I want to see Cowboys be considered along every other athlete when they're talking about the SBs or, or whatever it might be. Um, so we've got a ways to go when we're not on, when we're not in every, uh, sports section of every news channel and, and newspaper in the country, then, then I'm not ready to rest. You yeah. know, I think that um, we got to keep trying to push that rock up the hill. In some ways, we've come a long way, but in, in other ways, we've still got a long way to go. I feel, and I, I have not been as involved in the PBR as I have in rodeo. Um, I had a chance to announce a few um, Challenger Tour events mm. this year. Um, but I do feel like the Western way of life and the world of both rodeo and bull riding. I think rodeo has the last four or five years. I think the Cowboy Channel's contributed. I think Yellowstone's been a actually mm. played a role in all of it. Rodeo has is starting to blossom. I think mm. you can't go to a rodeo that's not sold out. It doesn't seem like anymore, mm -hmm. which is great. And you look at all the money guys are winning. Stetson Wright could win a million dollars in one year this year. Mm -hmm. How amazing is that? Well, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely what you want to see. You know, I've, you know, I always said that I want to see the money records get broken every year. Right. <laughs> Which know, a bunch of them have this year. And yeah. they should. You know, when, you know, I'm, I remember when I was riding, we were talking about, you know, money records that had stood for 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a slap in the face when, uh, you know, when you're, that's going backwards. Your First year of winning the all-around, there are guys, I think, this year going into the NFR with more money than you had at the conclusion of the national finals that year. Well, right. Which is growth. Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, in, in some ways, you know, a hotel room back, back when I was riding, you'd get for 50 bucks, you know, and now a, a, a dive's 150 bucks. Yeah. You know, just things like that. You look at a pickup truck, what it cost 30 years ago and what it costs now. You Not know? to mention so, the fuel. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, rodeo in in a lot of ways sometimes just barely keeps up with inflation, and so we've got to and the cowboy. You know, the I think the cowboy channel has been a very positive thing um, for the sport, but it's not it's not reaching out as far as we would like. You know, there's there's still we're still a we're still a a, yeah. a niche sport, and and there's. Uh, you know, it's a big world out there. A big, it's a big, big world out there. And, and sometimes in our little microcosm, sometimes we can think that we're, that we're doing pretty good. But we still, in both rodeo and bull riding, in my opinion, we've still, we've still got a long ways to go. Has a lot of your career been, um, whether it's all the time you spent competing or the the time you spent trying to build doing your part to build the pbr time on television even dancing with the stars dancing with the stars i, I told you before we started that was number one it was really kind of fun to watch ty murray mm. become a pretty good dancer um <laughs> over the over the time that 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 show took place um can i say you were maybe a little stiff the first episode <laughs> I was or two stiff the whole way <laughs> uh, but Though there are so many things that you have done, Ty, that I think we all need to say thank you to you two for the outreach you've done to build our industry. Um, you mentioned build. You know, there 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 are a lot of different. We we we've all got an opportunity, I think, and you've taken advantage of it and used your platform as an all-around champion and one of the faces of the sport to really try to build this industry. And for that, I think a lot of us owe you a thanks. Well, I don't. You know, I appreciate that. I don't. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm really doing it for a thank you. I'm doing it because it's something I'm passionate about. And, you know, I'm a multi-generational cowboy on both sides of my family. And so it's, it's really all I've ever known my whole life. And when I was talking about that big world that's out there that has no idea about a cowboy or rodeo or anything, um, you know, that's real and that exists. And we've got to keep trying to do things you know, there, there's circles, there's lots of circles, actually, that they don't even consider a cowboy an athlete. And, you know, I'll have that, I'll have that argument with anyone that wants to have it. But, but we've got a ways to go for, for people to start seeing that. And, you know, like the teams, the teams concept that you brought up with the PBR, 
See, that's that's another way. I'm I'm a big fan of the of the team concept because that's another way to put the product out there that people already have a way of digesting it that way, and it makes it so much more dynamic. Um, because now you're looking at drafts and trades and sure. strategies and coaches and who they're lining up and what they're teaching them and and uh, so you have those elements that people are used to watching in other professional sports. It also is going to help the sport from a grassroots effort of making the guys get better. Right. You know, it's it's to me it's a joke when you think about this sport. You know, forever. Guys have been doing this sport with no formal coaching. Well, that's got to change. Yeah. I watch, you know, doing doing analyst work, I watch guys make the same mistake every weekend for years. And so it's, uh, you know, coaches are what – coaches that know what they're doing are the ones that, that help uh, fix fix those sort of things. So I think, I think that the teams have a lot of different ways – of of helping the sport did you see the i'm sure you did you probably were there uh, so i don't need to ask you if you saw the video justin mcbride before um nashville won that the team title mm. last year that mm. the as fired up as he got with his mm -hmm. that kind of thing you, cowboys have never had that kind of thing in their corner before yeah and, and that's that's great you know and i think justin's really good at at that but it's got to go a lot deeper than yeah. a pep talk too yeah. you know what i mean yeah. you got to get you got to get down to the you got to get down to the nitty-gritty of what here's why what you're doing on this type of bull isn't working yeah and then you've got to have an environment that they can train in that's a safe and somewhat safe environment that they can get that into their bones because telling somebody is one thing, but until they've got rid of that old habit and started a new better habit and done it over and over and over until it becomes a natural reaction, um, you know, you're just, uh, that has to happen. And the fact that we're this far along in, in, in this sport, and we're still seeing guys that are just kind of going down the road. You know, they're training themselves, maybe. They're coaching themselves, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, they're, you know, their traveling partners saying, hey, I think you did this wrong or that wrong. That, that's not enough. That's, yeah. that's not going to help take it to the next level. And when you start talking about teams and team owners, um, that's going to change. Right. That's going to change organically all by itself. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, – as you know, team owners, they want to win. Yeah. And so they're going, they're going to be working at trying to figure out a way to get that edge that I was talking about earlier. The group that we've got, the, the group that the PBR has is, as owners of PBR teams events from and, and some of the general managers, I mean, it goes everywhere from successful businessmen to NASCAR drivers, but they all have one thing in common. It strikes me, and you, you can tell me if you disagree or expand on this however you want to. They're all successful people. They're all winners. They're all people that have done real well in life, and they're not used to and maybe don't have much tolerance for losing, I think. Yeah. Am yeah, I right I think, in saying that? I, I think 100%. You don't um, – you know, if, you, if, if you've not been successful at something, you're probably not going to have the millions of dollars that it takes to buy a team. Right. And then the millions of dollars that it takes to operate a team. And so they want to go win that money. And, you know, that's, that's the job of any NFL owner. And, and so that's what I'm saying about this isn't where you've got to say, well, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this. Now we've created a scenario where they're going to do that themselves. Right. And, and so um, that's why I'm such a fan. That, that's one of the elements that makes me such a fan of the team concept. It's so, it's so much more of a dynamic way to watch the sport. And, and uh, now, you know, like those guys that are more towards the bottom, now, they're, now what they do is important. Yeah. Where before, you're just watching them buck off at the beginning and you're waiting for the top five guys before the nitty-gritty gets, you know, yeah. down to the nitty-gritty. And so, so now it makes every ride that every guy does have an impact on the, on the sport that you're watching. Have a, and and I, think, I, think that's, I think that's important. Can I ask you about the one thing that I worry about with the, with the team's concept? Mm. 
and that is the impact of the and you again please tell me if you think i'm way off base the impact that it has on the calendar for these guys you've you've now got both pbr bull riders used to get a little bit of a break in the summer if they wanted to go rodeo they could mm. now you've got kind of a condensed schedule for, and again if you think i'm nuts Ty, please mm. don't hesitate to tell me you got a kind of a condensed schedule from november december until may when the world finals are and then the same guys are getting on those same pbr caliber bulls mm. throughout the summer am i right in worrying about the impact on guys physically a little bit or or well i don't know if you if you you know if you're a professional football player you play football yeah. day in and day out if you're for a professional living. bull rider you if, ride bulls. if you're a professional bull rider you know your job is you ride bulls yeah and you know this is creating bigger bigger opportunities with a lot more money and so if i'm an, you know if i'm a bull rider it doesn't matter if the if the season took a break i'm still going to be riding bulls yeah and if i can have it where the bulls that i'm still going to be riding i can earn more money and 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 bigger uh, exposure and and from that probably bigger sponsorships that's what I'm going to do. And so for me, you know, you can't look at it. T to me, when, when I see guys that are saying, oh, he's making a businessman's decision, he's going to set this one out, he's going to – that ain't how I approach the sport. Right. right. And I'm not saying that my way was for everybody. But to me, that's that thing I was talking about, about confidence. If you're a professional bull rider, riding bulls is what you do. I say run them in. And to me, that, that having that sort of attitude goes – it's so much more important than people think to have that to have that attitude of I'll get on anything anywhere for the dough, and this is what I do, and I expect to win. Um, I feel like I feel like without that, you're just going to be another one of the guys. I remember hearing stories when Michael Jordan was still playing for the Chicago Bulls mm. that he was he was so competitive. If if you were in a card game on the plane going to the next game he 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 really he he wanted to win mm. and you knew it was that time Murray a little bit did you kind of have that same mentality well i think when i think when i'm gonna put my name in the hat of something so anything that's competition i want to win and that's why i'm careful with what i put my name in the hat for yeah and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it is, you know. I think it's in my makeup that I, I want to try hard and I want to I want to see how good I can do. If you're a guy that doesn't really care if you win or lose, then then professional sports may not be your thing, yeah. no matter how much talent you have. You know, I think that I think that um, you know I think that's part. I think that's kind of got to be part of your makeup, in my opinion. If if you're going to go to the very highest levels and beat the very best guys for world championships type of stuff, I think it's got to be something that you think about every day without trying to. Before we we run out of time here, um, I want to ask you about horses, not bucking horses, mm -hmm. but horses on your ranch. And you are you spending a lot of time now training horses? And, and how do you approach more than, than you had previously when you, you know, obviously were competing and wouldn't have time to go out and train a bunch of saddle horses and a bunch of ranch horses? Well, it's, it's something that I really enjoy. It's something that I'm passionate about. I read a, I read a book that a guy by the name of Tom Dorrance wrote when I was 20 years old. Yeah. And, and Tom Dorrance is as good a horseman that there's ever been. I think that everything that you're seeing now with better horsemanship, I think, came from Tom Dorrance went through Tom to Ray Hunt and kind of down the line, you know, through a, through a longer list of guys, but Tom's where it came from. And, and you know, it's, I always tell people that you can't unsee better horsemanship. And so for me, I'm not a horse trainer. I'm, you know, I'm never gonna be a horse trainer, but I love, I love working with horses. I love working with my horses and making better horses. And I also love trying to be a good proponent of better horsemanship because I feel like the horse doesn't have a voice and he gets a pretty raw deal kind of kind of everywhere you look even really at every level so whenever there's things that I do that I can do that I think are going to have a a big impact 
on the way a horse is viewed and, and, and uh, interacted with, then I'm going to try to do that. Um, it's, something that, it's something that I love doing. It's something that I love sharing. And it's something that can give everyone a competitive edge when they quit um, trying to beat a square peg through a round hole. There's, there's been so much bad horsemanship handed down for hundreds of generations. And if it doesn't work, if you're having to do it over and over, then, then the light bulb needs to come on. Yeah. The, the horse is not figuring that, it out because they're a very agreeable animal. And so for me to put it in a nutshell is, you know, the way I was raised is you make the horse's feet do something, mm -hmm. and then you do it a thousand times and hope that his brain gets on board with it. And the way, where I operate from now is I, is I set it up with, with choices. And what I'm wanting to do is the easiest thing. Right. And they find their way through it through their own brain, and then they put their feet there for you. And so that, you know, that's just kind of in a if you're going to try to break it down to a really fast, you know, explanation of it, I think that, you know, that might be a way to look at it. We, uh, you know, the guy that taught me was a guy by the name of Dennis Reese. And, uh, you know, he's the one that taught me everything that matters to a horse, um, that truly matters to a horse, not, not, what, not what I thought mattered. And, you know, him and I created the National Day of the Horse, shoot, 20-something years ago. And, you know, doing those kind of things just feel important to me. And it's, it's something that I enjoy. And, and uh, if, you know, if sometime down the line, if, if you start seeing uh, better horsemanship in, in not just our sport, but really anything that you look at with a horse, the, the horse could use a better deal in almost every activity that people do with horses from every level to beginner to the, to the highest levels that there are you will see people doing things that, that aren't a good deal for the horse. Our mutual friend, Susan Canode, reached out to you and kind of helped to set this up. Mm. And Susan sent me a message the other day. She said, when you talk to Ty, make sure you talk to him about horses because he is as passionate about horses right now as he's ever been. Mm. Um, because of and, – and that's kind of where, where I, want, I wanted this – where this where where the question came from i guess is you know it, she she said ty is just he he is he is dedicated right now to horses and horsemanship mm. which is what you just said it's something that i it's something that i really enjoy and and i enjoy it uh you know i started out seeking better horsemanship just for 100 percent um selfish personal reasons i just wanted to have a better deal with my horses. I wanted right. my horses to be better at their job and us be better together at the job. And I wanted a horse that liked me and felt more like a partner. And so, I, you know, I read that book when I was 20. I started seeking better horsemanship at that time. And I've, I've been working on it for the last 30 some years. And so, you know, I feel like that what I can offer a horse now is is way, way better than than it was 30 years ago. And I'm, I'm hoping uh, you know, that 30 years from now, it's going to, it's going to continue getting better because, you know, Tom Dorrance used to say that the horse needs a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's one of the truest <laughs> statements that I've ever heard because the horse not having a voice, everybody just writes their right. own narrative. Oh, he's a hammerhead or, oh, he's, my horse doesn't like to, you know, it's always my horse doesn't do this, doesn't like to do this, or my horse doesn't like to do that, or my horse is a is a maniac or my horse is a bronc or they're all herd animal herbivores that <laughs> they're not you know they're not they're not lions and dragons they right. they they can be uh because it's either fight flight or freeze right. and and sometimes they're frozen and people think they're getting somewhere and then or, or it's a or it's a fight or a flight and they're and they're having trouble and they're putting their own narrative on it and they're doing things like punishing a horse. A, a horse does not link punishment. They don't, you can, a correction is something different. If right. a horse reaches out to bite me, when he gets partway to me, he's going to get a pop on the end of the nose. Sure. That's a correction. Right. But when you have a horse that makes the mistake of something that you've been making his feet do a thousand times and he still doesn't understand the game, 
and then you ride out of the arena and, and whip him with your rope or jerk on him and kick on him and get mad at him and, and all that. All you've done is a disservice. All you've done is made him hate you more and trust you less. Right. You know, they're not – the horse never in the history of horses and men as the horse went, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I stopped a little earlier than he wanted me to stop or whatever it is, which, again, that's a rider error. If your horse is, is guessing when to stop at the wrong time, that's your that's your fault, not the horses. Their line of communication, they're very they're a very willing animal when they understand the game. Um. Well, okay. So somebody's watching this and they're saying, "Okay, what do I do? do I, where, where do I go? Do I read this book that you just talked about? What 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 other what resources have you fallen back on? And what what advice have you given people? That's a really overly broad and probably not very good question. Mm. But um, kind of talk to me about what what would you like people to do more of with their horses? Well, it's, it's just a matter of educating yourself and not just, you know, doing what granddad told you to do and, and you know, show him who's boss and, you know, uh, pulling him to slow down and kick him to go. And, you know, and, and, uh, and there's just so many things that, Riding, the art of riding is not staying on the horse. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it. It it. There's not an easy answer. There's not a hey, read this book and you're going to be a good sure. horseman. Yeah. There's not a hey, go to this clinic and you're going to be an amazing right. horseman. It's, I've it's been long. It's been thirty years of blood, sweat, and tears of of reading everything I could find from anybody that I respected, watching anything I could find from anybody that I respected. And then going and spending time around guys that I that I saw them have a good deal with their horse. They had a happy horse that liked them and understood. And I've done everything I can in, in the last 30 years to get around those people. You know, guys like Dennis Reese, Martin Black, Buck Brandman, uh, Pat Pirelli. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't go and just try to pick out a guy and emulate him. I go and I go and watch what it, what each guy has to offer and and try to understand and take the things that I think are going to help my situation. You know, like Dennis Reese has taught me more than, than everything else combined about, about what matters to a horse. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of differences in the, in, the end pro, in the end way that Dennis and I do things yeah. because at the, we have a different end game at the end of the day. But, but once you learn – once you learn – it's the importance of the principles, not the methods. That's, you know, that's what I would encourage people to go and try to start learning the principles of horse-human um, communication, the principles that are going to matter to the horse and help the horse. Methods are, you know, methods are many. Right. But... Even a even a good method, if you don't understand the principles, you're, you're probably not. You're going to take a method that may be considered good, and if you don't understand the principles, then then you're not applying it right. That's just as bad as as having a bad method. And so, uh, you know, I think that it, it's a it's a big subject. It's not a you know it's not a it's not something we can like settle saying, in fifteen well, minutes. Ty, what, what, what do you do to you know to get yeah. somebody to where they play the piano you know like Beethoven? Well, that's even an easier task because when you push a C key, it's always a C. It's, it's what, always a C. You yeah, know what I mean, and so yep. a horse, a horse is a living, thinking creature that has different moods and days, and then and then better horsemanship. You know, I, I always tell people it's the simplest, most difficult thing you're ever going to do because you're, you're, you're the student and the teacher at this, at the same time. And, and so, uh, but when you watch when you watch somebody that's a good hand, you, to me, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And, and, uh, when I, you know, when I start seeing guys that were good hands, I'm like, wow, that's about a mean time better deal than, than what I was shown. Sure. Or that's about a mean times better deal than what I've been doing. Or you can just see it in his horse. When his horse turned out of a thousand acres and the horse meets him at the gate, that ain't what I used to have. Yeah. If if they were in a thousand acres, I better I better trap another horse and then go figure out how to yeah. how to get that one. This this last few minutes has been maybe my favorite part of this whole interview. As somebody who has I'm not a good horse trainer, and I admit it. Mm. Um 
I, I, this has been a lot of fun to hear you talking about, you know, relating to horses and understanding them. I, I, I love this part of the interview. Um, well, I think that's the, I think that's the first step is being able to realize that, Yeah. you know, and I had to, you know, when I, when I first went and, and stayed with Dennis, uh, you know, I was in an arena with, with a dozen women that were 65 years old with a helmet on and, and I was a nine time world champion right. at that point, but I knew, you know, I needed to be there every bit for different reasons but I needed to be there every bit as bad as they did. And having a better deal with my horse and having a horse that understood and having a horse that liked me and having a partnership, that was more important to me than my ego. And sadly, I don't know what it is about people and horses, but there, it seems to be where they develop an ego. Um, I've seen people defend, you know, harsh, harsh stuff with horses and they'll, they'll defend it like they'll fight tooth and nail about why you ought to beat a horse over the head yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I don't have anything to say to those people, but if they, if they could educate themselves and go see and go see what I've seen, they would probably look at it differently. Let me, I, I, and I so genuinely appreciate your time and I know we're, we're, we're getting pretty long here, but let me ask you a couple final questions. This one might be Steve's dumb question of the interview, but I'm going to mm-hmm. toss it in there anyway. Um, Several years ago, I was interviewing Casey Field, mm. and Casey brought up to me something that I had never thought of, but makes perfect sense when you think about it. He talked about horsemanship and bareback riding, mm. keeping your body square, keeping your position right, doing doing all the right things. Have you, as you have spent the last 30 years working on your the horsemanship side of your life, have you learned some things that would help you become a better bareback rider or a better bronc rider when you were competing? I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I knew enough to know that, you know, to, when you get in the chute, the calmer and more deliberate you are, the better. If you are over aggressive, you're going to scare the horse. And if you're sneaky and quiet, you're going to scare the horse. Right. And so it needs to be, you know, I always use the word deliberate of, you want to get in there. You you want to have a calmness about you because a, a horse's a horse's life depends on how perceptive they are. Yeah. Just just like any prey animal, that's their job is to be perceptive of everything. And so if you're if you can't project that, um, you know, like I said, if you get in there and you're all aggressive and you see guys slapping their face and yeah. you know being real rough in there and stuff, that's gonna scare them. But, you know, equally, if you get in there and you're trying to, oh, now, oh, 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 and you're being a sneaky, greasy used car salesman, that's going to affect gonna. the horse as well. And that, that's something that I understood early on from growing up on the racetrack and, and teaching horses uh, to go in a starting gate and be in a starting gate and leave a starting gate is I learned that as a little boy. The, yeah. the calmer I was, the calmer they were. And so that's something that I understood. And then, and then the rest of it is kind of – you know, making sure that your body's in the, in the right positions that it, that it needs to be in. But I don't, you know, I don't necessarily link that to, to good horsemanship necessarily. I have genuinely enjoyed this last hour. Thank you. Yeah. Well, enjoyed Um, sitting down with you. I, uh, so national finals rodeo is right around the corner. Do you, do you pay as much attention as you used to? Do you? I, you know, I really don't. And, and I'm, you know, I'm still a fan of rodeo and I love when I, when I do get the opportunity to see the finals, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, that's my favorite rodeo in the world. And I love seeing the, just the very best guys and just the very best stock, but where my life is with the things that I'm involved in with the ranch and the horses and my wife and the kids, um, we don't watch a lot of TV and I don't, you know, and I don't, I don't want to travel any more than I have absolutely have to and I've really tried to whittle that down to almost nothing because um, I only got I only get one shot at these kids you know yeah. and and you you definitely don't want to miss um, you know it's in a really fun time right now with a five-year-old and a 12-year-old and you know they've got a lot of things going on and the world's really just opening up to them and and I think that you know with my wife and the kids and the ranch and the horses and and then the fun things that we do yeah uh you know i feel like i have a pretty full plate um 
But that being said, what, what I do get to see of, like watching Stetson ride is a treat. You know, the, the, over the years, being able to watch Trevor Brazil, that's a, that's a treat. And not just the all-around guys, you know, the, the, the people that stand out in any of the events. is it's always, it's always fun to watch great competitors. Yeah, I agree with that. Ty, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Ty Murray joining us. Uh, this is the Legends of the Hall podcast, and doesn't get much more legendary than this man, let's be honest. What he has contributed and done in our world of professional rodeo is pretty special. Ty, thank you very much for thank your time. You. That's it for this week's episode of the Legends of the Hall podcast, episode number four. We'll do it again next week. Remember the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame playing host to the Gold Buckle Gala which is the kickoff event of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, December the 4th at the South Point Hotel and Casino. Find out about the latest from the Hall of Fame at ProRodeoHallOfFame.com. The Legends of the Hall podcast brought to you by Wrangler. I'm Steve Kenyon.